you would turn in your Bibles to Romans 7, and I want to finish this series. I hope this series has been a blessing to you, that you know more about grace right now than you did before. Thank you. And I love, I love preaching on grace, and this message that I'm going to bring is just one of my favorite messages. It's called The Grace to Change. Grace gives us the ability to change. Now, you know, all of us have things in our lives uh, that we want to change. Sometimes we have something really big in our lives that we want to change. You know, it may be stopping smoking, stopping eating so much, uh, drinking, drugs, uh, you know, something like that, that that we want to stop doing. Or maybe it's something we want to start doing. We want to start exercising, eating better, uh, praying, reading our Bible, something like that. But we feel like that we can't. The New Year's resolutions are an example of this. According to Nielsen Analytics, uh, losing weight is the number one New Year's resolution that people make. But also finding love, saving money, a bunch of stuff like that. But according to statistics, only 64% of New Year's resolutions last longer than the first month. Only 46% last longer than the first six months. And only... 12% of people succeed at their New Year resolutions. So on January the 1st, people who are saying, I want to start doing this or I want to stop doing this, only 12% of those people are going to be successful. So, So that's the bad news, you know, is that we struggle in trying to change some of the bigger things in our lives. But I want to talk in this message about how to find the power to change anything in your life. And it's not hard and it doesn't take willpower. When I say that, people just look at me like, what? What did you just say? I'm saying that by the grace of God, we can change anything in our lives. And it's not hard and it doesn't take willpower. And I want to use an example in scripture here, beginning with in Romans chapter 7, where I ask you to turn. So I'm going to talk about three things that are necessary in changing anything in your life. The first is understand the corrupt and incorrigible nature of your flesh. Incorrigible means it can't be changed. If a person's incorrigible, it means they're just not going to change. There's nothing you can do to help that person. You have resident within you flesh, fallen flesh that will be here until you die or Jesus returns. It's it's here and we have to deal with it. Now, this is the apostle Paul, who is a Pharisee, who was uh, the most brilliant person in the New Testament with the exception of Jesus and one of the most disciplined people uh, because he was a Pharisee. They were very disciplined people. And he's talking about his inability to change. If the Apostle Paul struggled with change, I mean, then we understand why we do. So he's talking here about he's trying to change, but he can't. Romans 7, 14. I can, this is the message version, by the way. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I, really, uh, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. 
I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Anybody relate to this stuff? I mean, he's just being honest. Parts of me, listen to this, parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Let's stop right there. So the apostle Paul is just being honest and he's saying, I struggle. I struggle with trying to change. I don't want to do things, but I do them anyway. It's just, it's just regular that it happens. He says, you know, I want to start doing things, but I can't do it. He says, I do love God. I do delight in God's word and in God's laws, but it's obvious that not all of me agrees with that. And he says, just when I want to do good, parts of me covertly rebel and act against me. In the New King James Version, it says, my flesh wars against me every time I try to do good. So at the end of his confession, this is now the New King James Version. This is Romans 7. Here's what he says. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So he asked this question. He's going to answer it here. In just a minute, and I, I just completely relate to this. I love Jesus, and I, I know you love Jesus. I love Jesus, but not all of me loves Jesus. I love the word of God, but not all of me loves the word of God. I want to do the right thing in my heart, but not all of me wants to do the right thing. And it's my flesh. It's my fallen flesh. And I have, if I'm going to change... I've got to wake up to the reality that there is a part of me that will not change. And every time I want to do the right thing, it's going to be there to sabotage me. I've just got to, it's just there. In all of us, it's there until Jesus comes. Here's the second thing we need to understand if we're going to change. is understanding the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Why is the Holy Spirit in our lives? Okay, listen, listen to this now. So in Romans chapter seven, the apostle Paul is just being very honest and he's saying, you know, I want to do the right thing. I can't do it. And at the end of the the chapter, he asks a question, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to save me from this body of death? Now, Romans eight, remember when the Bible was written, there were not chapters and verses. Okay. This was an epistle. This was just a letter. And so Romans seven and Romans eight belong together. They're the same train of thought from the apostle Paul. Listen, in Romans chapter seven, you just saw what Paul said. O wretched man that I am, who is going to save me from this body of death? In Romans 8, in the first 16 verses, he mentions the Holy Spirit 15 times. Remember, the way we change is understanding our flesh cannot be changed. It's incorrigible. It's fallen. It's always there to war against us. The second thing we have to understand is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I just can't do it. I've tried everything. I just can't do it. Who's going to save me from this body of death? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Let's read. This is Romans 8, 1. He's continuing. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I'm going to stop right there at the end of verse 11, but he continues to go on through the chapter talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul's answer to how, who's going to save me from this body of death is the grace of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to overcome our flesh and to do the things that, that God wants us to do. The, we, God never intended that we would live without the Holy Spirit. When God breathed life into Adam's nostrils in, in Genesis chapter 2, when the, when the Greeks uh, took the Old Testament and they tr- uh, translated it into the Greek, the word breathe, uh, when God, it says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils, that's the Greek word emphasal, where we get our word emphysema. It means breath of life. God did not breathe oxygen into Adam. He breathed his spirit into Adam. He never intended for mankind to live without being filled with the spirit. But God said, in the day that you eat that fruit, you'll die. When they ate the fruit, the spirit of God departed from them, but they still had oxygen in their lungs. Then man was depraved. And three chapters later, it says the world was full of violence and corruption. We're not designed, we can't live without the power of the Holy Spirit in us and God never intended to. And there's only two choices. There aren't three or four choices. There are two choices. This is again, Paul in Galatians five. Listen to what he says. I say, then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Pretty simple, right? For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another or opposite one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And he says here, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What does that mean? There's a law of sin inside of you. It's in all of us. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. There's only one way to escape that law. It's by a higher law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What the law could not do in that it was weak through our flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of flesh. So now we can be set free from the law of sin and death inside of us through the law of the spirit of life if we walk in the spirit. And there are only two choices. You can walk in the power of your flesh. You can walk in the power of your spirit. Let me talk about willpower for just a minute. You know, self-discipline is a good thing. I'm not saying in any way that it's not important and necessary in our lives. But we know statistically that we can't change the big areas of our lives through willpower. In fact, I think it's dangerous to try sometimes as an example. You know, willpower... Is like a rubber band. It's like you know, wrapping a rubber band, uh, winding a rubber band. It gets tighter and tighter, and then it snaps. 
And you say, well, I want to lose weight and I want to get in shape. So you wake up every day and you say, I'm losing weight and I'm getting in shape. And you just do it, you know, you're just, you're just going, you're just doing it by willpower. You're willing it and you start losing weight. You start getting in shape. And then one night they find you dead in the back of a donut store. <laughs> you snapped after closing hours. You broke in and you died of a sugar overdose. You couldn't take it anymore. You wound up and boom, snapped all of a sudden. So the, we, do, we, can, we can go so far just by human willpower, but then we snap. All, all of us can relate to that. And four categories of sin in the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5. There are four categories of sin, by the way, when he talks about the deeds of our flesh. Sexual sin was the first one. Adultery, fornication, and cleanest lewdness. And what he's saying is if you're not walking in the spirit, these are the things that are going to happen. Emotional sin. And most of the sins that he mentions are emotional sins. Hatred, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambition, envy, dissensions, murders. Remember he said the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, peace, patience, joy, long-suffering. Completely the opposite. Okay? Sins of excess, drunkenness, and revelries. And spiritual sins, idolatry, sorcery, and heresies. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is if you don't walk in the Spirit, those things are just going to naturally happen. Maybe not all of them. But these are, they happen because we're not walking in the spirit. Okay, so uh, the apostle Paul in Romans 7 asks the question, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? Then Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to say something that I think is going to surprise you. Okay, because every time I say this, people look at me funny. But it's, but it's true. What I'm about to say is true. So here's, I've got a question for you. Why is there no condemnation when we sin? Let me answer this because you're going to look surprised when I say this. Because God doesn't expect us to stop sinning. He knows we can't. See, condemnation is about us. Grace is about Jesus. The devil wants to focus it on us. And here's what the devil wants to say. What? Why are you like the way you are? What's wrong with you? You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You don't do this. You don't do this. And you do this, 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 and this. You keep telling Jesus you're going to stop and you don't. What's wrong with you? You, 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 you. See, the devil's right. There is something wrong with us. And we can't change. Just go ahead and agree with him. God doesn't expect me to sin. He expects me to yield to his spirit. He knows I can't stop. That's what the apostle Paul's saying. I can't, I can't be a good person. Goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's no, why is there no condemnation? Because it's not about me. It's not about the good things that I do or the bad things that I do. It's about the righteousness that's in Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus can I be a good person. Only by the grace of the Holy Spirit can I change. He, what the devil wants to convince us of is we better get our act together before we can get to God. I can't get my act together till I get to God. And his throne is a throne of grace. Thank God. On my worst day, when I'm in my worst condition, I'm invited into the throne room because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's not about my performance, it's about the grace of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life 
has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do is that it was weak through my fallen flesh. God did by sending his son. Somebody say amen. amen. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, here's what he does. So this is Galatians 5 again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Well, let me talk about two of the fruits of the Spirit, goodness and self-control. Okay, so you say, well, I want to do the right thing. Good. Goodness is the Holy Spirit giving you right desires. So you have a wanter inside of you. You have a little switch. You have a little wanter switch inside of you. You may not have known it. And so when you're doing bad stuff, it's because your wanter switch is turned in the right, wrong direction. And so you wake up. So here's the I don't want to live the rest of my life trying not to do something I really want to do. You know, you wake up in the morning and go in to pour some coffee and you notice some, you know, jar of cookies. You say, don't eat that cookie. Don't eat that cookie. And all that, you got the cookie gets in your head. And all day long you're thinking, don't eat the cookie. Don't eat the, don't eat the cookie. Just don't eat it. Just don't, don't eat that cookie. And you avoid the kitchen because you know it's right there. And all day long that cookie's up in your head. And you go to bed at night and you're thinking to yourself, I didn't eat the cookie. Well, just go ahead and eat it. It ruins your whole day. Just go ahead and eat it. You wanted it. You wanted it all day long. What is goodness? Holy Spirit, give me righteous desires. Change my wanter. Flip my wanter. You can walk in the flesh and battle your flesh all day long, or you can walk in the Spirit and he'll give you goodness, which means he'll give you his desires. So it doesn't take a lot of willpower. I'm not constantly fighting my flesh because he gave me goodness and change my water. Well, you'd also have a canner. It's called self-control. Okay. So your canner is what you're able to do and not do. So your wanter says, do this and you don't want to do it, but your canner's weak. You got a weak canner. Okay. And so you come to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, give me self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Our flesh is the opposite. It's indulgent. It's weak. It gives in so easily. So you wake up in the morning and you say, Holy Spirit, change my wanter and change my canner. I don't want to wrestle today all day long with my flesh. I want to have righteous desires and I want to have self-control so I can do the things that I need to do. Every single day, he will give you that grace if you'll ask for it. And you know how you get to the point where you ask for it? When you realize you don't have a 1% chance of success if you don't. And we're all in the same boat. If the apostle Paul couldn't, none of us can. Let me tell you a few stories, uh, and then I want to pray for you. I know there's some of you that want to change stuff. When Karen and I had our marriage, was real bad. Uh, I was a really bad husband, uh, and a really bad husband. And Karen wrote a book called From Pain to Paradise that she talks about the early years of our marriage. And she came to me and she said, hey, Jimmy, um, will you read this book before it goes to print? Just tell me what you're saying. So I read the book. Uh, and I, I, it was me. She was telling the graphic story of me before I changed. It, it, it was hard for me to read. And she had forgiven me, but the sister didn't forget nothing. <laughs> that sister, she has a dangerous memory. So, and I read her book and I thought, I remember him, but I'm not him. I told Karen to get out one night. We had a big fight. And, you know, I, I was just a terrible husband. 
Um, that morning I had read John 16, 13, because I, I read the Bible every morning. I was a terrible husband, but I read the Bible every morning. I was a jerk, but I was a sanctified jerk. And so John 16, 13 says, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll lead you into all truth. And that just interested me. That, that verse interested me all day long. I thought about it. That night, Karen and I got in a horrible fight. She went in the bedroom crying. I told her to get out. And I was in the living room, and I, I didn't know what to do. I, I knew I was about to lose my wife. And um, I remember that verse. And I said to the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be a husband because I don't know. Well, when I said that, it was like blinders fell off of my eyes, honestly. But before that moment, I'm telling you the truth, before that moment, I thought to myself, I'm Mr. Wonderful, and I just accidentally married the devil's ex-wife. <laughs> Who knew? You know. When I prayed that prayer, because I was deceived. I was a deceived man. When I prayed that prayer, something fell off my eyes, and I thought, I am a jerk, and I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world. And I went in and repented to Karen, told her that I was sorry. And it didn't change everything that night. It, it began the change. You say, well, Jimmy, how did you, how did you change? How did you change from being that man to this man? Every day I woke up and asked the Holy Spirit to help me. I would wake up every morning and say, Holy Spirit, would you just help me love Karen? I don't know how. I don't know how. Our marriage ministry came from that. When I tell men how to understand women, how to talk to women, how to treat women, that's the Holy Spirit talking. How to do that. It transformed me. It transformed me. I'm not that man. I did not change trying to change. I changed by following the Holy Spirit and receiving his grace. Let me talk about smoking just a minute because I smoked. uh, I started smoking at 15 years old. Uh, We started smoking before baseball practice. My friend's mother uh, smoked Salem cigarettes. They're they're bad. And uh, they're all bad, but those are really bad. But he was still some for cigarettes. We went in the alley and would smoke. It made me deathly ill every time we did it, but I hung in there and got addicted. <laughs> I was very committed. So I smoked Marlboro cigarettes from the time I was uh, 15 to the time I was 25. And, um, you know, so the Lord called me to preach when I was 19 years old, but he told me to stay in business with my family. And so uh, I would wake up in the morning, you know, when I got saved, and I would have a quiet time, and I'd smoke four or five cigarettes, drink coffee, just have a big time. Now, I didn't know any better. You know, I just said, thank you, Jesus. You know, boy. (laughs) And so I did. I didn't know. So I was about 24 one uh, one morning, and I was praying. I was just having a big time, having my quiet time, you know, and the Holy Spirit said, I, and this was sweet, no condemnation in this whatsoever. He said, I can't do what I want to do in your life if you smoke. And, you know, because y'all don't want me up here saying, turn to John chapter 8 if you would. And uh, <laughs> let me. Uh... So he said, I can't do what I want to do in your life if you're smoking. So I started trying to stop. I was, for about a year, I tried to stop. Could, could not stop. Never got one day without I tried dozens of times. Never made it through a whole day without smoking. So I woke up one morning at about 25 years old. I was going to go into the ministry at 28 years old. So I was 25 years old. And I woke up one morning defeated. And I said to the Lord, uh, 
I can't stop. I need your help. Now, my greatest frustration with me is how long it takes me to ask for help. That's my greatest frustration with me. The Lord never told me to change myself. He just told me he couldn't do what he wanted to do in my life if I spoke. Okay? Very sweet, very precious, no condemnation. So um, I was smoking when I was talking to the Lord. And uh, the Lord said, listen, I said, so I need your help. Please help me. Here's what the Lord said. From this point forward, every time you're tempted to smoke, say, I'm a non-smoker. I was smoking. And I thought, well, okay. And the Lord said, when you put this cigarette out, um, I want you from this point forward, every time you're tempted, I want you to just say, I'm a non-smoker. So I, su- I smoked all that cigarette and some of the filter. <laughs> just being honest. And so as soon as I put it out, the Lord said, now you say I'm a non-smoker. And I said, I'm a, I'm a non-smoker. So I went to work that day and we had a delivery. Uh, we had a customer in New Mexico and they had a 30 square mile ranch, this massive ranch, wonderful people. And we had this huge delivery out to their place. And so I went with the delivery man. I had to go to the delivery man to New Mexico to deliver a bunch of stuff. And so I had to ride with this one guy and he smoked. So we got in the truck and we got a, about a mile or you know, about an hour out of town and uh, he noticed I wasn't smoking and he pulled out his cigarettes and said, you need a cigarette? And I said, I'm a non-smoker. <laughs> he said, really? I watched you smoke all day yesterday. <laughs> I said, that was yesterday. And they'd all seen me try to stop a thousand times, you know. So all day long, he's on me, all day long. And so in the truck, you still a non-smoker. We get there all day, we're installing stuff. You still a non-smoker? All the way home, still a non-smoker? Every time he said it, he said, yes, I am still a non-smoker. I didn't smoke that day. That's how I stopped smoking. I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, I tried everything. And you say, would it work for me? I hope. Yeah, try it. Give it a shot. I don't know. All I know is the Lord will help us if we'll ask for help. That's all I know. And I did not have the willpower. I did not have the ability, but he changed me through that. Let me give you one more story and I'll pray for you. Um, about 12 or 13 years ago, I can't remember the, the time on it. Quite a while ago, I went to the doctor. I've got very high cholesterol. All the men in my family have high cholesterol. No heart disease, nothing like that. We just have high cholesterol. So I went to the doctor and he put me on Lipitor. He said, we got to get your cholesterol down. And I, and I love doctors. I love the medical profession. I do not in any way want this to come across as disrespectful. I love it. But he put me on Lipitor. Well, it made my uh, muscles sore and it made me short-tempered, kind of aggressive. And uh, Karen told me one day, she said, uh, you need to get off that, Jimmy. It's, this is change, changing you. And, um, and so I guess I was short tempered with her or something like that. So one day my loving wife said to me, she said, I would rather you die younger than act like this. I said, thank you. But she was right. So I got off of it, you know, went back to the doctor, you know, a year or two later. And he said, are you still on my Lipitor? And I said, no. And uh, uh, he said, uh, Jimmy, you need to be on something. You, you've got to get you know, your, your cholesterol down. So he put me on another one. Same exact thing happened. Um, went back, same, you know, a year or two later. Are you on the, on the medicine? No. Put me on another one. Put me on another one. One through four of them. So about four years ago, I guess it was, 
uh, I went to see him and he said, are you on that cholesterol medication? I said, I, doctor, I just can't take it. I am so sorry. I, it just messes with me. I can't take that medicine. He said, I've got one more for you. Uh, he said, now this one acts differently. This, this one changes the way your body metabolizes food. So this is not a statin. It's not like the other medicines I gave you. He said, try this one because I think this one could work for you. Well, I took it and I gained 30 pounds in two months. I got off of it and gained 20 more pounds. I gained 50 pounds. It didn't change the way my body metabolized food. It stopped my metabolism. I was eating the same, never exercised more in my life, and my weight skyrocketed. So I got off of that medication, and I mean, I blew up like a balloon. And it was discouraging, because I mean, I could lick a french fry and gain a pound. You know, I, I mean, it just didn't matter what I did. And so... Again, my greatest frustration with myself is how long it takes me to ask for help. So on January 1st, 2018, I woke up and I was very, very discouraged about it. And um, I said, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll heal my metabolism because something's wrong. And I want to say something now, having wrestled with this myself. There are a lot of people who are overweight and battle their weight who are very disciplined people. They're battling genetics. They're battling their metabolism. In some cases, they're battling their hormones. You need to have a lot of compassion for people who are struggling in that area. But I woke up um, on January the 1st of 2018, and I said, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would heal my metabolism, and I pray that you would give me the grace to lose this weight and change my desires and change my abilities. Okay, So that was January 1st. I've lost over 30 pounds since then. I've got another 20 pounds to lose. But I've lost a lot of weight since then, and it's just been very natural. I don't feel like breaking into donut stores, anything like that. It's been very natural. It's been very systematic. But, but I want to say this. He changed the, that day that I prayed that prayer. Um, I woke up, and it was, or I woke up and prayed that prayer. It was later that morning that my metabolism came back on. And I was standing in the kitchen. I just got real hot, and there was like a motor running inside of me that hadn't been running for a couple of years. And my metabolism came back on. And he changed my desires and he changed my abilities. He changed my wanter and canner. And just very naturally, I started losing the weight that I couldn't lose before. There are some of you that you are trying to change. And you're, you're, some, some of you are defeated because I, I felt that way at times. And you've, changed, you've tried so much that you've stopped trying. And I want you to stop trying to change on your own. Your flesh is incorrigible it can't be changed and your willpower just uh, you just don't have the willpower to make any big changes on your own and if you try it's just going to unravel on you at some point but the apostle paul confessed and said i just can't pull it off i just i've tried it's just predictable it's going to fail who's going to save me from this body of death the grace of the holy spirit that when we if we will just admit that we need help God resists the proud, the people who think that they can do it themselves, but he gives grace to the humble. And humble people are people who just say, I can't do this without you. I'm not going to be able to change unless you give me the grace.